0: friends, it's good to uh, be with you uh, this morning and thank you for uh, joining with us and we trust that the Lord will have a word in season for your heart and as we minister the word that the Lord will speak to you and that you'll be able to follow along with us in the word of God and if you have your Bible, uh, we're turning this morning to Second Kings chapter 4 and we're commencing to read at verse number 8 but just before we do that we'll bow together please in a moment of prayer father we just bow before thee and we thank thee for thy blessings and thy goodness to us another day and father we just pray that thou will come and minister to us and we pray for ourselves we pray for that help from above and father that your word will go forth with a clarity with a weight and with a power and for those lord that will listen at home and at a later date we pray that indeed that the word of god will be refreshing to them and lord that thou wilt indeed minister uh, to us from us so thou will break again the fresh manna from heaven to your soul and above all that thy son would get the glory. We ask it in the Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. We're turning again please to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8 and we're just reading the few verses uh, together. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in hither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in hither. And it fell on a day that he came in hither and turned into the chamber and lay there. And we know that the Lord allowed his blessing uh, to the public uh, reading of his word. We come to this uh, mighty character this morning of Elisha. And he's a very interesting one and well worth the study. And we've come to the story of how he passed by the region of Shunem. And he comes, it says, to the house of of a great woman. And that's the only time yet you'll ever find that little phrase in the Word of God. She must have been a great woman financially and materially because you read on in the chapter, you'll discover that her husband had s- servants and they had property. Uh, but I think the Holy Spirit put that lovely phrase in concerning this unnamed soul because she was a great woman spiritually, because she had a great tenderness in her heart for Elisha, the servant of God. In fact, if you read in verse number eight, it says that she constrained him to eat bread, and she had a tenderness in her heart towards this man of God. We read in verse nine and ten how she she went to her husband and she said, Let us make a little chamber on the wall For him, And they made a little room and they furnished it. It seems to be that it was like a a loft because you read on in verse 34. You'll find when Elisha came to it that he he went up into it. And uh, it was a little loft that was made for him. There's a lovely picture of someone making room for God in their home. And you know we live in a world today when men and women don't have much time or they don't have much room for God. And here was a woman and she gave room for the man of God. And we live in a world and in a land where men and women have time and room for pleasure and popularity and fame. And yet God has seemed to be forgotten about. Well here was a woman and she made time and room for God. And that's a good thing for us all to do. Now it's the 10th verse of this 4th chapter that I want to bring your attention to this morning. Because there's four items of furniture that this great woman put in the little chamber for Alicia, And I'm going to be uh, practical this morning. We're not going to go into anything too theologically deep. uh, But we want to apply it to your soul. Because these four uh, items of furniture are very suggestive. And we will learn I'm sure a great deal uh, from them. Because every single one of us have these four items in our home. The first thing that she put into this little chamber for Elisha was a bed. And a bed, of course, speaks of resting. You know, that was the great problem that Elijah had. The man of God, Elijah, that went before Elisha. Uh, you'll remember how in First Kings chapter 19 that he was burnt out. He had overdone it. Uh, you'll read in chapter 18 of how he rebuilt the altar and he called fire from heaven He slew 450 prophets of the Baal. He he prayed rain from heaven. He ran for 30 miles in front of Ahab uh, who was riding in a chariot. And then he ran from Jezebel 100 miles on his own away out into the wilderness of Beersheba. For fear of his life he came, of course you'll remember, to a juniper tree. Sat down under it weary, worn and exhausted and wanted the Lord to take his life from him. And he was a saint that was wore out. And you know friend this morning that is still the strategy and tactic of the devil to this very day. We read in Daniel chapter 7 and in verse 25 uh, that he tries to wear out the saints of the most high God. That word to wear out there is the word to harass. It's the word to bombard. And I wonder, if there someone listening to me this morning and even during the last few days and weeks, you know what it is to be harassed by the enemy and you know what it is to be bombarded. Maybe things that you've done in the past, things that you've said, places where you've went, actions that you've done. And the Lord has forgiven you and you've been bombarded every moment of the day by the devil uh, because of them. There's that lovely hymn we used to sing it back in the hall. I hear the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. But Jehovah he findeth none. And a bed speaks of resting. You know the word of God says that there's a rest for the sinner. And if you're listening to me this morning you need to have a rest. Because the world can't give you rest. The devil will never give you rest. You'll not find rest in a bottle. You'll not find rest in a tablet. You'll not find it in a, a bag of cocaine or in a, a, a cigarette filled with uh, cannabis. No, but the Lord Jesus is the one who can give rest. Listen to Matthew chapter 11, 28. He said, come, that's the great invitation. Come on to me. Uh, come on to me all. That's the limitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Lord Jesus is the one that can give the sinner rest. I'm glad that he gave me rest. You know, he done for me what doctors couldn't do. He did for me what psychologists couldn't do, what the police couldn't do, what what drink or drugs could never do. He gave me rest, peace. You know, it says there in Isaiah 57 and verse 20 that the wicked are like the troubled sea which cannot which cannot rest. And men and women to, to this morning across the world uh, who are in their sin can't rest, they have no peace. But not only is there a rest for the sinner, there's a rest for the saint. You'll remember the Lord Jesus turned to his disciples in Mark's Gospel chapter six and thirty one he says, Come ye apart into a desert place and rest a while and there's a time for the people of God to uh, come away from all of the activity and to rest and be refreshed in their soul and in their spirit. But not only is there a rest for the sinner and a rest, thank God, for the saints, but there's going to be a rest for our soul. You know, there's coming a day when the Lord will come back, and as the poet put it, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time will be. No more. And we'll be lifted out of this whole world of sin and we'll go to the place of perfect rest. There's no more sorrow there. There'll be no more sickness there. There'll be no more separation there. There'll be no more sin there. And there'll be definitely no more problem with Satan there. And it'll be the land of perfect peace and perfect rest. I love that little hymn. We often sing it. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that fair land where we'll never grow old, and some day yonder we'll never more wander, but walk the street that is pure as gold. But a bed not only is suggestive of resting, it's suggestive of remembering. The prophet said, or the psalmist said in Psalm 63 and verse 6, When I remembered thee upon my bed, and I meditate on thee in the night, Watches, that word to remember there is as the Psalm has said, he remembered the Lord in his bed is the word to think upon. And it's a good thing whenever we go to bed at night uh, to think upon the things of God. I was thinking last night when I got into bed late myself that there's some lovely things that we can remember and think upon the Lord as we lie in our bed. You could remember the goodness of God, the goodness of God. You'll remember the preacher said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. You could remember, of course, the, the, the privileges that he's given to us. And we live in a land that is privileged, privileged with the gospel. You look on Facebook or YouTube or the internet and there's more messages going out every day and more men preaching uh, than any other part of the world, I'm sure, where we've been privileged with teachers and with preachers and with evangelists and men of God. We've been privileged with the word of God. We've been privileged with the families that the Lord has given to us. We've been privileged and blessed with the clothes on our backs, the roof over our head and the food in our bellies. And it's good at night to lie in our bed and remember the goodness of God, the goodness of God and the provision that he's given. Uh, And the provision that he's made. You remember how he sent his son to die for you and for me. That was the great uh, fact that thrilled the heart of the Apostle Paul. He said that he loved me. And he gave himself for me to think upon Calvary. And to think of all of the sufferings of the Saviour. And the agony that he went through. And the pain that he endured. And the price that he paid. Of course that's what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room. Uh, On the night in which he was betrayed, he said this to, in remembrance of me. It's good to remember the Lord. And even this morning after this message, uh, it's good to gather your family together around the bread and around the the cup. And to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for you and for me. Was it for me? For me alone, the the poet said. The saviour left his glorious throne. The dazzling splendor of the sky was it for me. He came to die. It was for me. Yes, all for me. Oh, love of God, so rich and free. And it's good to remember that. Good to remember the the privileges that he's given. Good to remember the provision that he made. Good to remember the patience that he shows Because the Lord has been patient and long-suffering with us, even as believers, Uh, whenever we fall and we stumble and we fail and we let him down, yet time and time and time again, he restores again to us the joy of our salvation. It's good to remember the the goodness of God uh, whenever we lie in our bed. You can also remember the lostness of man. It's good to, whenever you lie in your bed at night, to remember a dying world around us. We live in a world tonight that's sick with sin and there's souls every moment of the day that is perishing, going out into eternity unprepared, unready. Souls that are dying and we need to have a vision and a passion and a love for them. The, the poet put it like this, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. We bore the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. And we need to remember uh, men and women and pray for their souls, especially in these days. Not only can we remember the goodness of God and the lostness of man, we should remember and remind ourselves of the shortness of time. Uh, because the psalmist said in Psalm 89, he says, remember how short time is. You see, dear friends, we're not in the last days. But we're in the last of the last days. And whenever Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he said in Ephesians 5 and 16, redeem, redeeming the time for the days are evil. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. And that's why we need to remember that the time is short. Uh, the, the return of the Lord, it draweth nigh. And that's why we need to uh, do what we can in these days. Days to uh, seek to win the lost and to serve the Lord in whatever way that we can. So there's a bed and that's suggestive of resting and the suggestive of remembering. And those are two things that we need to do. But then, of course, it says that the great woman put into this chamber for Elisha a table. And, of course, the table speaks of fellowship and communion. Whenever a visitor comes to your home, or they can't come now, but whenever they could have come, the first place we usually take them is to the table, and we have fellowship with them. When a visitor comes, or a friend, or a family member comes, we bring them to the table. There's a lovely passage there in John's Gospel, chapter 12, just prior to the Lord Jesus going up into Jerusalem. And it says that he was in the house in Bethany. Uh, And they made for him a feast or a supper or a meal. And it says that Lazarus was one of them that sat with him at the table. Speaks of fellowship. Speaks of communion. You remember David, whenever he he was anointed king, and he he ruled and reigned uh, 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 on the throne. He brought Mephibosheth, Saul's son who was lame and he brought him to his table and he fed him and watered him every day and he supplied his need. It's a lovely picture of the Lord's table uh, that we are at every day. The Lord's supper is something that we remember on the, the first day of the week and uh, whenever we remember the death of the, the Lord Jesus. But the Lord's table is something that we're at every day because he provides for us every day. He looks after us. He nourishes us and he blesses us. But it's not fellowship that I think that Elisha uh, did around this table. Because who would he have had fellowship with? He was a man of God. These men spent days in solitude alone with the Lord. But I believe it was for studying. You see, I can see Elisha coming into this little chamber uh, whenever he's walked the length and breadth of Israel. And he comes into this little resting place. This little place where he can refresh his soul. And after he's rested and after he's remembered, he comes to the table and I can see him opening the word of God. He would have, of course, scrolled it out. It wouldn't have been a book like we have today, but it was in a scroll. And I can see, uh, Elisha, this man of God at the table with the word of God. You know, there's nothing more delightful than seeing a man at a table with the open book. And in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1, that was the chant of the people of Israel. In Nehemiah's day, I heard a brother Bertie mention it the other morning. They said, bring the book. And you know, friends, in these days we not only need to rest and not only do we need to remember, but we need to be in the word. We need to study. We need to feed our souls in the word of God. That's what the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes in John chapter 5 and 39. He said, search the scriptures and that's what we need we need a generation of men and women uh, that are dedicated to the searching of the word of God not just getting a nice verse here and there and not just getting a lovely little phrase but chewing and meditating and studying the word of God that's what they said of the Bereans and the acts of the apostles that they daily searched the scriptures they had a hunger For the word of God, it was said of Wesley in his journals whenever he was 82 years of age that he read the word of God 10 hours a day. He was a man of the book. And that's indeed one of the titles that was given to the early Quakers. They were described as people of the book. People that knew the word of God. And that's what Paul said to young Timothy. He said, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be men and women of the book. And God has given us time in this time of shutdown and lockdown to get into the word and to get to know the word of God. That's what the Lord Jesus said to the religious leaders of Jerusalem. He says, ye do err not knowing The scriptures and we live in a day whenever there's a shallowness among the people of God. There's a shallowness among us. Uh, We don't know the word the way that we should know. And in these days we need to take the opportunity to get in uh, to the book. You know the word of God is described in many ways. It's described as a rock that endures. You know this old book, men have tried to bin it and ban it and burn it. Uh, But the Lord said in uh, Psalm 119 that my word is forever settled in heaven. The Lord Jesus could say heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. It's not only settled, but it's sure and it's forever settled in heaven. It's a rock that endures. But then, of course, it's described as a hammer that breaks and it's described as a fire that burns and as a sword. That defends because whenever the Lord Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted of the devil forty days and forty nights, read about it in Matthew Matthew four, he took on all of the all of the attacks of the enemy with the word he brought to him, the book, and it's a double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of joint and marrow and soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents. Of the heart this old book is a rock that endures, it is a hammer that breaks, it is a fire that burns, it is described as a sword that defends but of course it's a lamp that directs because the psalmist said thy thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and that's where we get our guidance from, we get guidance from the word of God. Uh, The psalmist said, thou shalt guide me and instruct me in the way that I shall go. And that's how we get direction, by being in the book. That's how we know what the Lord's will is for our lives, is spending time with the open book. It's a rock that endures. It's a hammer that breaks. It's a sword that defends. It's a fire that burns. It's a lamp that directs, but here it is described many times as a meat that feeds. And we need our souls to be fed and nourished in these days. The psalmist could say, oh, how I love thy law, or oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. And friends, that's where we need to get in these days of lockdown. We need to get to know the open book. We need to spend time with the Lord and meditate and read the word night and day and get it into our souls that will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that our leaf would not feed. And whatsoever we would do, we would prosper, as it says in Psalm number 1. So there's a, a bed speaks of remembering and speaks of resting. And then a table speaks and is suggestive of studying. Can you see Alicia coming in? after the miracles, after working for the Lord, and he comes and gets before the table and opens the book and meditates upon it. But then, of course, thirdly, there was a stool. It says, let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool. And a stool is suggestive of praying. And you know, dear friends, whenever you read in Acts chapter 2, you'll discover there... Uh, that even it was there that the they they prayed while they were sitting, and the Jews always sat while they prayed. And you know, in these days, that's what we need. We need men and women not only to rest and remember and to be refreshed, and that's all good. But we need men and women to take this opportunity to to study the word of God, to search the scriptures, to be like the Bereans, to daily scrip- search the scriptures, but we also need to be men and women in these days of prayer and of intercession. You see, the man that will sit at the table with the book will be a man that will kneel at the stool in prayer. That close time with God, getting alone with God, that's what we need. We need men and women, and I'm putting myself in that, that will be dedicated to seeking and waiting Upon God. Francis Ridley Havergill said we would be better Christians if we were more alone with God, if we attempted less and spent time, more time, waiting on Him. And you know, that's what we need. And God, in these days, I believe, has pulled the brake, pulled the brake in all of our activity, pulled the brake in all of our meetings, pulled the brake in all of our missions. Pulled the break in all of our track distribution and in all of our open airs. And he's pulled the break that we would get alone with him. And if I could say anything to anybody this morning is don't waste this time. Don't waste it. Don't squander it in DIY. Don't squander it on television. Don't squander it even on listening to sermons on the internet or on YouTube or Facebook. But get alone with God and wait on him. The psalmist could say, I waited patiently on the Lord. And that is a great need among us. And I'm sure every single one of us could confess to neglecting that time alone alone with God. E.M. Bounds, the mighty man of prayer, if you ever get a chance, read his book, Power Through Prayer. He said, prayer is not part of the work, but prayer is the work. He that is much alone with God will do much for God. And you know, dear friends, I trust and pray that after this whole thing is over, if it ever blows over, that our prayer meetings will have more in it than what were in it before this whole thing struck, because the prayer meeting night was uh, the smallest meeting of the week. And we need men and women to pray and to cry unto God. Spurgeon said that the goal of prayer is to get the ear of God. It's a mighty thing when men listen. But I tell you, dear friend, it's a greater thing whenever God listens. It's a great thing. And that's what I enjoy in the mornings myself, is to get alone with the Lord and spend time with him and cry and pray for the saved and for the unsaved and for our land. James said, it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, may not always to pray and not to faint. You remember uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. uh, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to be men of prayer. Women of prayer. We may never preach. But we need to cry unto God. John Hyde was the man that prayed give me souls or I die. Praying patience. He was the man that wore two grooves and his wooden floors beside his bed as he wrestled night and day with God. He was disciplined, determined and direct in his praying. That's what we need and that's what the Lord has been laying even on our own heart in these days. Of course there was Luther. Luther said that if I spend less than two hours in the morning alone with God that the devil gets the victory throughout the day. Sir Henry Havelock spent six hours alone on his knees with God, shut in and alone with him. That's what we need, friends. And God has pulled the brake on everything. And that's why I would say to even ministers of the gospel and ministers in these days, preach, keep preaching surely, but pray. Whenever John was in Patmos, he was put into isolation by the government. And he waited upon God and he got the greatest revelation of Christ. The risen Christ that we have in the word. And he was waiting and he was praying and he was spending time with God. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes Known to cry for our families, to cry for ourselves, to cry for our loved ones, to cry for our assemblies and for our ministers and for our landers to cry and lay hold of God. In these days that's what we need. So you can see that a bed is suggestive of resting and remembering. A table is suggestive of studying at the open book. And a stool is suggestive of praying. But it's also suggestive of patience. And we need patience in these days. You'll remember what Naomi said to Ruth as she went to find Boaz. She said, sit still, my daughter, until I know what way the matter shall fall. And there's times when we have prayed that we need to sit still and wait upon God. Moses had to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 46, be still and know that I I'm God and that word there is to take your hands off it. Let go and see God at work. And not only is there a bed and not only is there a table and a stool. Finally there's a candlestick or a lamp. And we all have a lamp in our home. And a lamp is suggestive not of resting or remembering or praying or studying. But it's a, a suggestive of witnessing. A lamp shines. And in these days, friends, we need to shine for the Lord. We need to guard our testimonies. I was thinking of that lovely verse in Hebrews 11 last night concerning Enoch. It says Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. And we need to have a good testimony in these days with our family members and with our friends that are not saved and seek to win them for the Lord. It says of John the Baptist that he was a burning and he was a shining light. And in these days we need to burn and we need to shine for the Lord. We need to help our neighbours or those that live near us and around us do what we, we can for them. The Lord Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He said ye shall be witnesses both in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We ought to be his witnesses on fire, have a passion for souls. You see, the Lord Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, I am the light of the world. That's what he said about himself. But then he said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, he turned to the disciples and this is what he said. He said, ye are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men. And that's what we need to do in these days. While the world is in confusion and men's hearts are failing them because of fear, we need to have uh, we need to be a witness for the Lord and take whatever opportunity that we can. We need to guard our testimony as the devil would be out to destroy it. So there you have it. Four pieces of furniture in this little chamber for Alicia, uh, that every single one of us have in our home. A bed. It's good to rest. And it's good to remember. Remember the privileges that God has given. Remember the provision that he's made. Remember the patience that he shows. Remember the goodness of God, the lostness of man and the shortness of time. Then of course there, there was the table, speaks of studying, getting alone with the open book, getting alone with God and feeding our souls and getting to know the word of God and that's what we need men and women to do. Then of course there was the stool and we need to be men and women in these days of prayer. Men and women that will lay hold of the horns of the altar and break through and get the ear of God and we need to be men and women of patience to be still to sit still and to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and finally we need to be like a lamp just like John the Baptist of old a burning and a shining light to have a good testimony and to shine in our neighborhoods and in our families For the Lord, I was thinking of that poem last night as I was lying in bed. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And then while I'm dying, oh, how glad I will be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee. And I trust that this word uh, will bless your soul and will be an encouragement to you.